0: Welcome to the podcast of RUF at Boston University. We are in a series called Questions God Asks," Us, and the the question we're looking at today is, are you able to drink the cup that I am going to drink? And this is from Jesus, and let's ask Jesus to come and meet with us just real quick. Um, Father, we just um, pray that you would send your spirit, that you would uh, illuminate your word, That you would use me to speak the gospel clearly lord i pray that you would just clear our heads of distractions and uh, set our minds and our hearts on you we pray this in jesus name amen this message is brought to you by the number three three as in the enneagram if you're into the enneagram three is the achiever And I have taken this and I've gotten mostly one. Uh, And if if you have no idea what the Enneagram is, I'm sorry. Uh, But the the thing, the gist of it is, is like each number uh, relates to a certain personality type. And if you are a three, if you are an achiever, if ambition is kind of what gets you up in the morning, if you have just these goals in your life, big goals, small goals, this is really gonna get hit right to the core of who you are, so uh, just a fair warning, uh, it certainly hits for me, uh, this passage, um, as somebody who has ambitions, has had ambitions um, that have died, (laughs) um, and still has ambitions. Uh, But ambitions aren't all wrong. Uh, When I was a kid, my dad was an architect, and that's all I wanted to do. Uh, I loved my dad, my dad was my hero, And so, of course, my ambition was to be an architect. And I ended up going to architecture school and uh, working in the field for a little while. And then God had different plans. And now my my ambitions or dreams in that sense uh, are different. Um, But ambition is so complex because it can be mixed, right? It can be mixed in with pride. It can be mixed in with our own selfish desires. Uh, We are, are jealous, uh, of other people's success, we want to be not just the best we can be, but we want to be better than others the better doctor, better composer, better designer, etc, cetera, etc cetera. Um, Ambition is complicated in this passage, we see ambitious people, uh just like you and me, just like people you probably know and uh, there are two brothers in the twelve. 12- men that God had, uh, that Jesus had, had gathered around him. And James and John were their names. And they had a mom, a mother whose name was Salome. And she came and said, hey, can you put my sons at your left and right hand? Now, we're just kind of jumping in. And where does that come from? Like left and right hand? Like What does that mean? Where is she getting that? It actually comes from just a a little while earlier in Matthew 19 when Jesus says to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So, twelve disciples, twelve tribes of Israel. It made sense that these men were going to have this place of high honor in the new world, in God's kingdom. And so this mother is saying, I want my sons to be at the highest of the 12 seats. We want the highest honor. This um, was absolutely thrilling to them, this idea that they were gonna judge. And certainly after this this pronouncement of Jesus, uh, there was all kinds of controversy. There's all kinds of infighting and all kinds of, uh, wait, you know, why, do you, why would you get, just because your mom asked, why would you get to have that seat of honor? And Jesus sees right through that. He sees right through the motivations. He sees right to the heart. And he says, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? Now, I'm going to be using the idea of a cup the symbol of a cup and in biblical times what it meant if you had a, a cup um uh, the, a cup of blessing meant that your destiny was to be blessed if you had a cup of destruction it meant that your destiny was to be t- to be destroyed if you were um if in, in so many ways cup equals destiny cup equals your fate in other words um so we're going to be looking at three different types of ways that um, this idea of cup shows up in this passage. The cup of wrath, the cup of redemption, and lastly, the cup of service. So let's look at the cup of wrath. Jesus says, are you able to drink the cup that I am to the drink? Now what cup was Jesus going to drink? What was Jesus' destiny? What was his fate if you will when the bible when it speaks of the cup of wrath it speaks of god's judgment on his people in jeremiah 25 it says take from uh, me my cup Hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. So this idea of cup is often associated with God's judgment, God's wrath. And often the prophets, in this case Jeremiah, was sending word that the cup of God's wrath is coming upon you. That's the cup that you are going to drink. Later on in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see Jesus talking about a cup. This is Matthew 26. This is the night before uh, his death. And it says this, and going on a little farther, this is Matthew twenty-six thirty-nine through 42. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, that being the cup, your will be done. What was this cup? The cup that Jesus was going to drink was the cup of judgment. Not judgment on sin that Jesus had committed, that he was responsible for, but sin that you and I had committed, that we are responsible for. He was going to drink the full cup of God's wrath for our sin. And he accomplished this on the cross. And he rose again from the dead. When he was executed, he, he was buried, and he rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven. And he went to the highest seat of honor at the right hand of God the Father. Now, this cup is empty. Jesus drained it dry. The cup of God's wrath for his people is dry. There is no more wrath. There is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's nothing else. Um, Instead, God welcomes us into his kingdom. He adopts us as his children as if we had never sinned or rebelled against him. So this is the cup that Jesus drank, and surely this is part of what he is referring to. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? He's referring to his death. He's referring to his suffering on the cross. Now, the second cup is the the cup of redemption. Before Jesus died on the cross, He had the Last Supper, this famous last meal with his disciples. And this is from Matthew 26, just before the Garden of Gethsemane. It says this, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing, it broke and gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This was Jesus, like the blood of the Passover lamb had been shed to ransom the life of the firstborn son of Egypt all the way back in Exodus. When the lamb was slain, the blood was put on the doorposts so that the angel of death would pass over each family. Jesus is speaking about his own blood being spilled as redemption from slavery to sin. Just as the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, in Egypt, Jesus was providing a way for us to be redeemed, for us to escape slavery to sin. And this is what we remember in the Lord's Supper. If you go to a church, um, my own church practices this weekly. It's after the sermon, we eat bread and we drink wine. And it says, do this in remembrance of me on the table. Who are we remembering? We're remembering Jesus who broke his body, shed his blood for us. So we partake of forgiveness. We remember that we are forgiven, that Jesus drank the cup of wrath so that we could drink the cup of redemption. This is amazing. Uh, this is too good to be true. Jesus died and shed his blood that, so that we can feast with him. This is pretty pretty lopsided. Have you ever gotten a deal that seemed a little bit too good to be true uh, in on this earth, like, Most of the times, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Um, There's a great Netflix documentary called Made You Look right now. I would highly recommend that it's worth the hour and a half. Um, So if I were to tell you this is a Jackson Pollock painting, and it was painted uh, during Jackson Pollock's lifetime by the the painter himself, it has his signature, and it is worth probably $20 million dollars. You might believe me, this happened in New York uh, over several years. This one dealer, a very well-known and famous art dealer, bought several, several paintings from artists, uh, Mark Rothko, Jackson Pollock, and Robert Motherwell, over 60 pieces that had been bought for thousands of dollars. Nothing was, was purchased Uh, for over a million and over the next several years they profited 80 million dollars and it turns out this gallery was in Manhattan and just over the river in Queens there was a man in a garage counterfeiting each of these paintings forging each of these paintings So many people had been duped along the way. Art collectors, experts, uh, everyone did all the analysis. They were all duped. It was all forgery. This might as well have been something uh, I did in third grade. (laughs) Right, it's not the real thing. When we come to the gospel, we're always coming with these lens of suspicion of cynicism this is too good to be true surely god has condemnation and punishment and wrath stored up for me for me and when i get to see him when i die when he comes back whenever that is i'm going to get what i deserve but friends we are not going to get what we deserved we don't get what we deserved it's not a forgery this is authentic That's the real deal. Jesus has signed this work in his blood. So what does this mean for us now? If that's the gospel, if that's the drum, you know, I keep banging on every single week. It's so good and it needs to be banged on. But what does it mean for Tuesday? What does it mean for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? What does it mean for the rest of our lives? How do we live If we've been redeemed, how do we live? Well, our passage shows us the way, and I want to focus on kind of the latter part of it. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers but Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Have you ever, uh, I want to focus on just this, uh, Kind of counter example of bad authority, uh, which the Gentiles lorded over them. You've probably been in a, in a work situation where you've had somebody uh, lord their authority over you. It really doesn't feel good. Even if you're the most compliant and submissive employee, um, it, it feels awful um, to have that authority lorded over you. Um, I don't know if you guys remember this show, Wife Swap. Anybody remember King Curtis? Um, King Curtis is this little kid. He's in the show Wife Swap. And because it's a wife swap, it's also a mom swap. So he gets this new mom. And all he wants to eat all the time is bacon. And so he says, I got to tell you something. Bacon is good for me. Great, great stuff. Go look it up on YouTube. And then he also says, when his new mom says, no, you can't eat bacon all the time. He says this, he says, she acts like she's the queen and we're the sorry people. Now, in this instance, King Curtis is not only in a position where he has zero authority, but the absurdity is that he considers himself the new authority over his mom. Surely he thinks he's the king, King Curtis, and his new mom should get in line. Well, this is closer to home than we realize. We, we, we say to maybe our own parents, we say to our professor, we say to God, bacon is good for me. <laughs> we say, no, what I'm doing right now, even though I know it's wrong, it's what I want to do. And I'm going to do it. Jesus shows us a totally different way of responding to authority, a totally different way of living even though we might have bosses that lord their authority over them. Jesus says it shall not be so among you, even if you're in a position of authority, you shall not act that way. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Jesus is our example of this life of service, uh, this cup of service, if you will. He shows us what true authority looks like. He shows us what it looks like to have ambition. That's not selfish, but righteous. And it looks like in a worldly sense, from the way a lot of people saw, this man was a complete and utter failure. He was crucified. He died on a cross. And this actually shows us a way to live our lives. I have struggled from time to time in my life with the fact that so many Christians I know they're not winners. They're not at the top. They're not necessarily successful. They're not the best. And the thing that's so convicting is I realize that's what sometimes I want more than anything else. But Christians are to live lives of service. It means Dying to our selfish ambition saying God I want this and I know it's just because of me I want to be seen I want to be glorified It means giving that up it means cutting that off it means saying no It means thinking of others interests before your own It means saying I want to be I want to be your servant This is really helpful in a friendship it's really helpful in a marriage in a dating relationship Not me, but you. It means leading a life of love, kindness, and respect towards others. And friends, especially those who lord their authority over you. Especially those who don't deserve it. There's a word here that's really shocking. Uh, There are two different words that he describes how we should live. Servant and slave. Slave is the more shocking one. Now, in biblical times, servant and slave were actually, there were two different roles, and one was higher than the other. When we see Jesus washing the disciples' feet, he takes that lowest service role. He takes the lowest of the low. He becomes a servant of the servants. This is our example for how we should live. I want to end with a story uh, from a pastor. His name's Joe Novson. He's a pastor of Lookout Mountain Church. And he uh, was in India. He was preaching. Uh, it was kind of like a missions trip. And his guide was this man named P.T. Chanda. And he was a man that uh, is described as Mother Teresa and John Calvin's love child. <laughs> he was just this really humble, servant-hearted, a uh, man who gave his life uh, to the church, gave his life for others. He's a man who probably possesses maybe four items of clothing, has just this passion for the gospel. And Joe Novison tells of a discussion that he and Chanda had on the, this verse right here, the Second Corinthians 4, 5. And Chanda, this Indian man, asked Joe to read the verse. And so he did, for we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. Chanda stopped him and asked, Joe, do you preach Christ? And he says, yes, Chanda, I think I do. Read the rest of the verse, Joe. And we preach ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Joe, do you preach yourself as a servant? No, Chanda, I don't think I do. And Chanda says this, no one in America wants to be a servant. You all want to be leaders. You especially don't want to be a servant to people in a church like Corinth. They were sexually immoral bickerers. They had received God's revelation through tongues and spoiled it. Yet Paul preached himself as a servant. Let me tell you a secret, Joe. Go to the back of the line. You won't find many Christians in that position. They are all at the front of the line but you will find Christ there and people of little reputation. Find the back of your culture's line and go there. This is where the Christian's ambition should be, the back of the line. That's where the little people are, the people who need to be served. More importantly, that's where Christ is. Christ is the servant of servants, and this is the Christian's cup. This is our ambition and should be our goal. Let's pray that we'll be. Heavenly Father, we ask that this sometimes impossible task of living the Christian life, of becoming a servant, we ask that your spirit would empower us to do that. It feels like too much. We've gone too far in our own selfish ambitions, and we ask that uh, you would reverse that, cause us to want to be at the back of the line, because we know that's where you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.